oxymorons, kind of fun words to, that have opposite meanings. You, two words that you put together, and when you put them together, they mean something else. And, and here are a few of my favorites. Jumbo shrimp. It's kind of funny. Act naturally. Unbiased opinion. Detailed summary. Small crowd. And then finally, a mellow Nebraska Cornhusker fan. (laughs) Of course, I made that last one up. But uh, I mentioned these oxymorons because in our text this morning, there's an oxymoron uh, Revelation chapter 5, and it relates to the central figure, um, not only of that chapter, not only of the book, but of our entire faith, because it relates to Jesus Christ. And so in Revelation 5, which we're going to look at, there are a couple of statements that are made about him that when placed side by side seem to be opposite or contrasting. But actually, as we look at it, it gives us a new and a fuller meaning or understanding of our Lord. It's Revelation chapter 5, and this is a vision from John, verses 1 through 9. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so the chapter begins with a scene in heaven, and in God the Creator is on the throne, and in his hand, there's a scroll, and there's writing apparently on both sides of the scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals. And then a call goes forth for someone to open the scroll, but no one can be found to open it. And John, seeing this picture, understands the enormous significance of the scroll, and he begins to cry at the terrible calamity that he feels. Now, Why does John weep here? Why does he cry? Well, I believe it's because there's no one who can bring judgment against the evil and the wicked. 
There's no one who can save us from death. No one who's in control of history and no one who can make things right. And so what else could you do but cry? And and to think, what if this were true in your own life? If you suddenly saw that life was meaningless, that it was just a chaotic random happening, and there there was no one in the end who would bring justice or who would make it right, and that there was no one who could save you from the sure destruction or from hell that you would face. I think if we would see the full reality of that, we would weep, and we should. But just then, John is told, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And so John immediately turns to see this great lion that's just been described to him. And he's expecting, I believe, to see Jesus, the lion, tear off the seal of the scrolls with his great claws and reveal its contents. And he is greatly surprised at what he actually does see, because in this scene we, f- we see the first of the contrasting images, and that is what we've already sang about, the lion is a lamb. The lion is a lamb. And so what a shock it must have been for John to look and to expect this great lion, but then only to see a lamb. And the word used here in the text for lamb means actually pet lamb. I mean, it's a lamb of complete innocence and vulnerability. And so this innocent lamb, we read, has death wounds. In fact, an accurate reading of Jesus' description would be a slaughtered or a slain lamb. It's a very graphic, very grotesque language here. And John would have immediately associated this lamb with the Passover lamb. He would remember the words of John the Baptist, who, referring to Jesus as the one who would make atonement, said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You and I may also be reminded of the words of Hebrews 9.28, which says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So John is expecting a lion to come and to bring victory. And and instead, he turns and he sees a defeated lamb. An oxymoron of sorts. And I believe Jesus' death can be described as a victorious defeat. And it certainly would have appeared that way to the world. As they looked at Jesus, they would have seen defeat. Think back to when this lamb of Jesus, uh, the lamb being Jesus, died on the cross. Get that picture in your mind. Was there ever any greater appearance of weakness on the part of God? And while he was on that cross, they taunted him. They said, come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And the irony of all of that is that he was able to come down from the cross. But he chose not to, according to Matthew 26, 53. So I believe what God was doing here was the most powerful act that he would ever perform. Greater than the creation of the world. 
greater than bringing the world to an end someday. Christ's redemptive act on the cross was God at work in his greatest hour because his strength was hidden. All of that power being hidden at the same time. And in this humble act of God, the devil was shamed and robbed of his power. And it was in this act that the lamb became a lion. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. So to think about that picture, this great God of power submitting himself to weakness. Jesus was like a, a, a lion-like lamb, wasn't he? And, and the power of his death could not be overestimated. And yet, I believe it was consistently underestimated by his enemies. Our text this morning has another oxymoron embedded within it. Um, two other images placed side by side that seem to contrast. But actually, uh, they describe the scene. In the second set of contrasting images, the slain lamb stands and walks. It's not dead, but living and authoritative. And so my second point here, or my second contrasting image that we see, is that the sacrificed lamb is alive. The sacrifice is alive and well. And so the lamb alone is worthy to approach the throne and to take the scroll and then to open it. Although the lamb has been dragged through death, it is now standing. It is now alive and upright. In other words, the lamb of God is victorious. And that's the third contrasting image in this passage, an image of victorious defeat. Though the lamb was slain and appeared to be defeated, the defeat was actually the road to victory. And this victorious lamb is worthy to fulfill the plan of God. And I think that's something that we can take comfort in, that God has had this plan all along, that the plan is still going forward, and the plan has an ending point. We can be confident that in human history, God has a clear destination already planned out. And I say that because many faiths, uh, such as the Hindu faith, do not believe that there's a direction to the history of the world. Uh, Hindus believe that life continues forever as it is, continuing through cycles. And so on and on and over and over, life goes on continually. And so this is why they would believe in reincarnation. No one ever truly dies. You just reappear in a different form, working towards perfection. And as I think about that worldview, it's depressing to be because there's no divine purpose to life. There's no direction. There's no destination. But fortunately, the Bible teaches us that God does have a plan for human history. And that plan is revealed throughout the Bible. And no, nowhere is it more clear than in the book of Revelation. It says in chapter 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign 
forever and ever. Revelation 21.3 might make it even clearer. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And so here is God's great plan for the world. That your life was intended to be in relationship with Him. That you are designed to dwell with Him. And when you do so, you will bring Him glory. The beautiful thing about this passage is that it's so personal and it's meaningful for you and I. Because in Jesus' victory, we're assured victory because we become His. Verse 9. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's a message of certain hope. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at the world around me and it seems like evil is winning. It seems like the bad guys are always winning. And I get discouraged. But you know what? We have the scroll. We know who is going to win in the end. On October 30th, 1974, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman squared off in a boxing ring in Zaire. Let me tell the story and you'll figure out where I'm going with it, okay? And Ali had dubbed this match the Rumble in the Jungle. Foreman was heavily favored. He was considered at that time to be the hardest puncher in heavyweight history. And Ali in this fight did something that no fighter had ever dared to try before. He held up his arms against his face and he continually leaned back against the ropes. Continually leaning back in a defensive position. And he allowed Foreman to punch and pound away at him for nearly eight rounds. And so for eight rounds, the strongest boxer in history at that point beat on Ali until he could punch no more. But when the right moment came, Ali bounced off the ropes and he knocked out Foreman, which sent him into retirement. And later, Ali, known for his bravado, called his technique rope-a-dope. Even though it looked like he was losing the fight and he was losing badly, he was in control the whole time. And so he took all these punches because he knew that he would deliver the final blow. Now I mention all that not to glorify Ali, of course, but because I believe that God has used and is using the rope-a-dope, as Ali says, technique on the world of evil. It appeared that the enemy was giving God's Son a beating, and Jesus was without recourse. But just when Satan thought Jesus was finished and dead, he stood. He arose from the dead. And just when Satan thought he owned the world, Jesus purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so, my friends, this morning, just know, appearances are deceiving. Things are not always as they appear to be. The lamb is a lion. 
the sacrificed one lives forever. It was a victorious defeat. And God's desired end will come to completion. You can be saved and rest assured and secure in the atoning work of Christ on the cross. I believe this technique is still being employed today. Just when the enemy thinks he has you down for the count, God comes through with a knockout. And it's being used on a cosmic and a global scale as well. The Bible says in Revelation 17, 14, They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. And so just when it seems that evil will reign, God shows His sovereignty. No wonder chapter 5 goes on to tell of another look from the Apostle John. And so if you still have your Bibles open, skip ahead to verses 11 and 12. It says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So I'm wondering if you and I can declare those words, if you put them up again this morning, that we would declare uh, those words, those underlined words in a very strong voice. Let's read those together. It says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Today we celebrate communion. This victorious defeat, it's the very heart and core of our faith. That Jesus, the lamb-like lion, the living sacrifice, gives us victory in life. And so as we receive the elements this morning... It's to be a time of rejoicing and celebration. And to illustrate this in closing the message, I want to read verses 13 and 14 as well. Listen to the celebration of the Lamb's victory. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To Him who sits on the throne... And to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped.